Blow the horn. Let's go. Everything that we do every day, we want to be a champion. Get your mind right and let's go. Do the little things. Win every day. It's a simplistic place so far. Everything with an attitude. Alabama. I don't give a shit who we're playing. Young men play against him and make his ass quit. That's our framework. That's our MO with the team. Richardson breaks free on the sideline. End zone. This is a mauling, folks. A mauling. Fear the tide, honey badger. I- Hello and welcome to another edition of the Alabama Football Podcast. And folks, I've got a special guest for you this week. Tom, take it away. Hey guys, man, how's it going? Appreciate y'all listening tonight. Sorry I was not able to join you for the last show. Um, I am sure y'all were as sick as I was at the opening drive of that football game. Uh, Dave, talk about that, man. How how did you think starting off when, when they were able to you know, put 15 plays together and control the ball for eight minutes uh, and just kind of yeah, do whatever pretty, they wanted to do. Yeah, it was frustrating at levels, right? Um, you know, they certainly drive down the field. You never want a team to be able to do that. Um, they score a touchdown, and you never want your opponent to do that. But, like, the the football nerd within me was, was like you said, you know, 15 plays – was adding up the plays, and they reached a point where I said, damn it, if they're going to score, just let them score. They don't need to put so much sort of tread or so much use on the defense so early in the game. And we talk about there's been multiple games where there's been, you know, 86, 88, 85 uh, snaps. And so here we go giving away 15 right off the bat. Uh, my initial concern was was more about the usage on the defense than it was the actual scoring how crazy is that? No, that's true, man. And, um, you know, they always talk about the scripted plays, right? The plays that they work on going into, you know, prep week for that next opponent. And so I was trying to be positive after the score. And I was like, okay, well, they've gotten their scripted plays out of the way. And yes. um, I like I like, I like how Saban put it to the announcer uh, at halftime when, when he just said, we just had to get something worked out. We just had to work. We just had to make some adjustments. You know how you always like to say we just had to make some adjustments. And yes. so um, I do find it interesting that, you know, at that opening drive, they've got their, you know, true freshman tailback in the game because, you know, unfortunately their starter, you know, neck injury, you know, no longer playing football. Their their backup tailback is out. Now this guy's coming in. He starts against Alabama. And, um, you know, on the first drive, he's got 22, I guess, 24 yards on the first drive. And so it is interesting to me when you go back and look at the stat line. um, I was surprised after the game that it was only 27 yards when he had 24 yards on that opening drive. On the opening drive. You know, one of the things, and you're right, Saban was, was, you know, he did mention adjustments. He talked about – they were running out of formations that we were expecting them to pass from, you know, based on practice. And, and that's, you know, be, that's going to be clever, you know, Jimbo Fisher showing one thing in, in this game, especially doing another. Uh, and of course I love uh, after they make those adjustments, you know, Saban made the, the comment that there was a little bit of miscommunication on the adjustments as we were making them. And so that contributed. Uh, but I like, uh, you know, Terrell Lewis, um, I don't know if you heard his his post game quote, but uh, he colorfully summed it up that uh, you know the defense got together and decided they needed to nut up, so uh, you know elevate their play. 
so that they could take on uh, Texas A&M the rest of the game. I thought that uh, summed it up pretty pretty nicely there. No, absolutely, man. I heard that as well. That's uh, that's one way to put it, man. I like that. Well, tell me, tell yeah. me about uh, obviously the, you know the, the middle of the game kind of went nicely for us. Let's let's start with offense. Uh, what what would you like to say? I mean, we you know, you you did a good job talking about you know the 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 Tua show and the wide receivers last week. We could talk about these guys every week. Uh, what jumped out at you on offense that you want to kind of start with? Yeah, I think sort of the the almost the theme that this that this team and 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 I think it really manifests Saturday against A and M. This team is I you know my sort of working theory. This team is the solitaire team, right? And so you have the deck of fifty two cards. Everything's in there. You're going to win or lose based on how the cards really you know play out. And so this game proved that Alabama has everything in its deck. It's got, you know, the offensive line came together. The running game came together. The passing game obviously has come together. You know, there's things we'll talk about on defense with the pass rush and, rush and the secondary. And so er, all of the bits and pieces and parts and components came together uh, and are at least manifest. And so some of we've seen this, some we saw this game, some we've seen in previous games, but now we've seen them all. And now we just need to put them all together in a, in a single game. And so what I saw on offense were some of the missing parts. The offensive line came together, and I know we want to talk about, and I specifically want to get your perspective on uh, the movement of Landon Dickerson to uh, to center. But I thought the offensive line came together, played more physical, and and then the running game, and, and it's a hand in glove, right? They both needed to improve individually, but then together, you know, there's a multiplier effect. And so I thought Najee, uh, Brian too, but Najee uh, probably had his best performance as uh, an Alabama running back. Certainly had uh, a high water mark yardage wise for the season, and then he also uh, had his single um, twenty five yard uh, rush, which was his longest uh, on the season. And so I thought it was good to see that piece of the game, that that component of the offense, really come together. There's other things, but that's what stood out to me the most. Yeah, I want to I want to latch on what you were saying about the offensive line because obviously you know we had talked before about you know once we had um, once we had a a sighting of number sixty five um, you know what it was going to mean to the shuffling and so obviously there was discussion about Owens and you know him being banged up for this game you know obviously there's been two weeks right we've had a bye week they've they've had two weeks now for. Him coming back right after the bye, right after uh, him coming back on a bye week after the suspension of four games, or being able to work his way back a little bit in that game, and then having the bye week, and now Texas A and M yeah. was perfect for Deontay Brown for his opportunity yes. to be able to get back on the field. And you and couldn't so have written it better. You couldn't have because he got to get he got to get a few reps as you talked about. Like when was he going to come into that that first game for him? But what we saw from Landon Dickerson and Deontay Brown and and Evan Neal, um, I, I think that's your that's your starting line for the rest of the season. You know, barring injury, um, you you've talked on the show about Dickerson and what a physical presence this guy is, and and obviously whenever we did our preseason show, we talked about the fact that he can play both guard positions and center. Well. I've, you know, he's a graduate transfer, right? 
He's already graduated. Obviously, the guy's smart. Obviously, the guy's got a physical presence. It didn't look to me like him and Brown missed a beat. It actually looked to me no. like – it almost looked to me like they were just picking up where they've left off in practice. And so, like, obviously you and I aren't getting a chance to watch practice, but I'd be curious how much of that combination was running with the ones – from the beginning of August until the season started, because it almost just looked too seamless. Um, there was no missed assignments. There was no miscommunication. I mean, there was there was plays where they were pulling Landon Dickerson and Deontay Brown together around the right end for you know for Najee and together around the left end together, and and they just didn't miss a beat. No, it looked like they had played side by side for you know a couple of seasons, and we know that's not true. And so it does point to the idea of do they get reps in in fall camp, uh, you know, when the media wasn't watching. And I'm going to bet yes, um, you know, partly because Saban's going to mix up p- players in a lot of different positions, kind of see what he's got. Uh, and then if he finds something he likes, he's going to practice it. And so, yeah, I would imagine – I would imagine we've seen some of, uh, you know, that they've that they've practiced side by side a lot. I kind of hate it for Casher because he's going to get Wally pipped in this. But, you know, your prediction early on was he was the one that would get moved out. Now, I hate that injury is causing that, but uh, it, it certainly opens up the door. I probably originally thought that Evan would uh, uh, would would lose his position be, simply because he's a freshman. Uh, but he's proven that you can't take him off the, off the field. And, and he, he's, he's huge as, as well. And so, you know, you're, what you said about the center and the two guards, that's a beef package right there. That's just a lot of, you know, big bodies. And then I like, you know, uh, Gary Danielson, one of the points that he made is that when you put Landon at the center position, he more easily can influence blocking on both in both directionals in both directions. You know, when he's at right guard, sure, he can pull, but that's more of an effort. When he's at center, it's just reaching one way versus reaching the other, and he can influence the run game in both directions. I thought that was an astute uh, observation. And then, again, you have you were right all along that uh, that Landon would move down to center uh, when Deontay came back. And, and I think this is the line that we probably would have drawn up, you know, entering in, entering the season. Well, there's there's no knock on you know Chris Owens in this, right? Landon Dickerson just all, comes from all. he just comes from. I mean, he's a transfer from Florida State. It's a big football program. He's a graduate transfer, right? And so this guy's got a lot of football under his belt. And so Chris's Chris, you know, Chris's time will come. But right this second, when you talked about the physicality and and just the the presence of Landon Dickerson. If you and there was a couple times where I saw him go in combo with Deontay on his guy and then go up to the second level to get his linebacker or combo with Evan and go up and get the linebacker. So to your point, if you are comboing with a guy who is 6'7", 360, or you're comboing with Deontay Brown and his physical presence in the run game, oh my gosh, I mean, what a mismatch. And so, you know, this is another time that Coach Saban has just brought in the right piece of the cog just out of thin air, man. 
I mean, how many times does I mean, how many times in pre-Saban would we have a, a transfer come in? It would be all the rage, you know. This guy's going to be this, and this guy's going to be that. Well, for the most part, when Saban brings in somebody, they fill a hole. And we've talked about the consistency that we've had at center at this university for several years now. And we've talked about the players that have been asked to shift from from left tackle to center and, you know, keep this thing rolling forward. Well, right this second from what I saw, and I know it's one game, but Texas A&M has a pretty good physical defensive line and they're good against the run. Landon Dickerson's looking like a pretty important cog right this second. Yeah. Well, you know, and he has played every game and this was his second game at center. He, he started uh, when Chris was, was right. Uh, had a concussion earlier right. in the season against New Mexico state. And so, uh, but your point is, is right on. It's, it's easy to see. He bubbles up to the top very quickly in, in his performance and, you know, and, and you're right. He's a guy, you know, you think about, you know, we've always talked about Saban going to get get his guy and have a high hit rate, not 100%, but it's been high on JUCOs. And now with the transfer portal, that just gives him another opportunity. That just gives him another conduit, um, you know, to, to get a player and certainly Landon. Uh, now I'll say this about Chris Owens and, and, and others. Tommy, this may be, and I don't have a roster in front of me, but this may be one of the deepest offensive lines we've ever seen either. When you factor in, uh, you know, the five that we're talking about, you factor in Chris Owens, uh, what is it, Emil Echior, uh, uh, Dallin Court, we're hearing great things about him. Got uh, Lashley. Uh, you get Lashley, you get, you, get, you get eight or nine, almost ten deep before you even – you know, question, is that guy worthy or am I just filling in a name? Uh, you look at some of the folks that we've had across the offensive line, I don't think they would crack, and I mean starters on championship teams, I don't know that they would crack the top eight or nine of this group. And you can even say that with the players that are there. Matt Womack, uh, he's a national champion, starter at right tackle and and with the group that's ahead of him, and I know he's been a little bit dinged up, but with the group that that's ahead of him, he can't find the field, and he's a national champion, you know, at the at a starting tackle position. And he's 6'7", 335, and he can't find the field, right? right. How many football <laughs> programs would he find the field at 6'7", 335? And I will tell you for et- – and, and that's not a knock on no. him. That's not a knock no. on him. That's, that's the – that's what, you know, we want to be clear on that, right? No, that's just, that's, that's, that's what happens when, you know, these players say when they get to Saturday, they've been going against better players in practice than they see in the game. And, and for Evan Neal, Evan Neal was very fortunate that we opened with Duke. Take nothing away from Duke. But, in years past, we've had a game that has ended up being a tougher component in week one. Evan Neal mm-hmm. has had the benefit of a schedule, which not only has Evan Neal had this, but so has Shane Lee and Christian Harris, and we'll get to that on the other side of the ball. Sure, sure. But these true freshmen, have it's really been very beneficial that the schedule has afforded them the luxury of becoming that sophomore football player halfway through the season because yes. we don't have time till the yes. end of the season for them to become a sophomore. 
I agree with that. I agree with that. And Evan O'Neill, or Evan Neal, even more so, I think, than some of the other guys, you forget that he's a freshman. I mean, you know, first of all, just look at his stature. You're not going to believe that he's a freshman. But he's the one that's easy. You kind of forget who the linemen are sometimes anyways. And so he's the one that's easy to forget that he's still a true freshman. We see, we see things from the other guys that still remind us. We don't see them from Evan. No, absolutely. Well, hey, man, I want to I talk about the receivers for a second just because I like that Gary, sure. Gary Danielson was, was calling them the four amigos because I just want to give Jalen Waddle a little love here because obviously we've talked about the talent, which this kid is. Um, and this kid, he's one of these lunch pail guys that just goes to work. And so he's 5'10", and he's 182. So he's not that prototypical 6'4", 220 guy that's your first-round draft pick. But that kid was, you know, hometown kid, right, out of Houston, Texas, playing against a lot of guys he knows. And these Texas schools are kicking themselves that they didn't get this kid. And you and I talk all the time in years past, more so than now, because Saban plays so many people. But remember how we would talk about – a talented player would shy away from competition and they would just go to the yes. easy school because they knew that, you know, it was easy. Well, to Jalen Waddle's yep. credit, dude came knowing dude came right after Tua saved Alabama's ass and, and showed the world who Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs and Devonta Smith was because we weren't using them yep. their freshman year. Let's be fair. And so Tua showed the world who they were. And Jalen Waddle still came and said, okay, I got my lunch pail. I'm ready to work. And, yep. and, and he's like, there's room for me too because I'm that freaking good. And, and I'm glad that Devonta did what he did, and I'm glad Ruggs did what he did. And, and poor Jerry Judy, you know, he was just the number one receiver in the nation last year, and he's probably the forgotten one right this second. But I'm just glad for Jalen that that Jalen got to have his game of the season, you know, in this ball game. Yeah, I am too, and especially in 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 Texas. And again, he, you know, I think the recruiting battle came down to Alabama and, and Texas A&M, and and so he, you know, all the week before there was a lot of interviews and and conversation about it, and you know, he he talked about how he was very familiar with Kyle uh, Field, and he was very familiar with with the Aggie program. And so there was, there had to have been a little extra juice in him wanting to uh, perform, and just his his performance and just his standout. Um, you know, watching the game Saturday, and and when he catches that pass for the the first Alabama score, and you know makes a nice couple of moves to get into the end zone, but it but he just hits the Jets and just takes off, and it, even just looking at it, my wife says, "Man, he's fast." <laughs> And so there's almost like when, when, you know, it's almost like a litmus test, like we see it, but it's like when maybe someone who doesn't watch as much, you know, when they like instantly their eyes go to and lock on, like he's different then that's telling. Right. And so when, when my wife said, when my wife said, wow, he was fast. <laughs> just, I was like, yeah, he is. And that's, uh, that's what, that's what Jalen Waddle's all about. So that was fun to see. Well, and that's so demoralizing for Texas A&M. That was a third and seven. Okay. And he basically completes the pass. I mean, he Tua gets credit for a 31 yard touchdown pass, but it was behind the line of scrimmage on third and seven. 
I mean, that's yeah. just so demoralizing for yeah. a team. Well, you, you know, when's the expose going to come out that, that talks about all these fraudulent yards for, for Tua, right? Because he'll he'll throw behind the line of scrimmage or, you know, the 70 yards to, to Ruggs was, you know, was virtually a handoff or he'll show us, throw a six-yard pass that'll go for, you know, a touchdown. And so, you know, you could you could sort of, you know, tongue-in-cheek have a uh, an article about, uh, you know, Tua's fraudulent yardage. No, absolutely. Well, tell me, tell me something else that you wanted to kind of touch on. I got something else I want to do after you you mentioned what what else would you like to talk about on the offensive side of the ball? Well, you know when when Judy and and Tua got into a little bit, uh, I like the competitive spirit there. Uh, I don't I don't think there's a whole lot to read into that. It did remind uh, me and I'm sure others of uh, you know of of Barrett and and AJ getting into it, obviously there was not, not the physicality there, but, but I like the competitive spirit and, you know, guys on the field competing, uh, at a, at a high level, um, you know, they both saw something that was a little bit different. I don't, I, I don't think there's, I don't think there's tension. I don't think that's representative of any, of anything negative other than just two competitive guys on the field. And, and I don't mind seeing it. I like, no, there was a missed touchdown there. Right. I mean, it, it looked from, it looked, I agree with you. It, it, yeah, it, it yeah. looked like, Judy missed the read there, um, and Tua obviously felt yep. strong about that. And you know, he's a you know he he seems to be a perfectionist, right? And and, and he wanted to get that pass complete. I will tell you, you know, as good as his stats was, you know, this was one of his lower quarterback ratings on the season, which is just so interesting. Is you and I used to talk about if an Alabama quarterback could be twenty of thirty for two hundred yards and a touchdown. Well, he was twenty-one of thirty-four for two ninety-three, and so here he is. He throws three hundred yards, but you know this is probably his worst completion percentage of the you know of of his career as a starting quarterback at Alabama. That's a pretty productive bad day. Yes, right? twenty-one of thirty-four for three hundred yards and four touchdowns, but it gets you a quarterback rating of eighty-five. And so we'd have to go back right. and look at the other games I, I to would, see what the other ratings were. But obviously, eighty-five is probably his lowest test score of of the of of his Alabama career. And he broke the you know career yeah. touchdown record in the process of getting his eighty-five test score. That's right. I wish I wish I could be so productive on my bad days. <laughs> um, I want to talk about Brian Robinson because I do think when he had his opportunities, it is interesting that that Najee got twenty carries and Brian got ten. Because remember back in the day with yep. the two-headed monster, we'd want the starter to get 20, and we'd want the backup to get 10 touches. And if we didn't have that distribution, yep. we weren't running the ball enough. So I did love the fact that that happened. And and I don't think that that was on accident that one got 20 and one got 10. I know sometimes here, take give or take a few carries there, you know, it's just the flow of the game. But I think that was very telling that, you know, they got that distribution kind of deal. But but I want to give Brian kudos on his touchdown when he broke the plane of the goal that of the goal line that he had the yes. presence of mind to say I'm on top of this defender and I am able to you know reach out there and extend the ball and so just having that football IQ on that play I uh, just wanted to touch on that real quick. No, I thought that was good, and I don't know how much you know of of this is intentional or me reading too much in or. He was just, you know, sort of teetering off of the guy, falling a little bit. 
but he stuck it out, crossed the plane, and pulled it back. Uh, and so whether whether I'm reading too much into it, I don't know, but there's a little bit of I'm not going to stick the ball out there and then you know jeopardize the ball. I'm going to stick it out there, pull it back to help protect the ball. And he was sort of teetering over, so I'm probably projecting too much, but uh, stuff like that, I, you're right. I, I like the presence of mind uh, both to uh, – to go for it, but then also to think about ball protection protection as well. Hey, a couple more very quick things on Najee Harris's touchdown uh, by the same token. You know, we've watched a lot of great running backs in the past, but his ability to put his hand down when he's about to, you know, his knee's about to touch, and then him to see these three Texas A&M defenders come and be able to just, you know, dive into the end zone because he knows if he just takes their contact – he'll be able to get a touchdown. And then he has the presence when he hits the ground to roll properly so he doesn't, like, separate a shoulder or something. Just that couple little sequence mm -hmm. of hand down, dive, roll, et cetera, I, I, I just thought that was neat too. No, it really is. And we've been picking on him a little bit, and uh, there's a lot, and, and it's you call it nitpicking if you want. Uh, we've been picking on him a little bit. There's a lot to like about this guy. And even some of the things over the last couple of weeks that, uh, you know, the South Carolina game where I, I, you know, conjectured that he might lose his start to lose his job. He has been a different player since then. And some of the concerns that we've talked about, I see him improving upon every one of those. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. Even there, to your point, is, is vision. Right. And so to me, he hasn't been maybe that's been his weaknesses. He haven't he hasn't had you know, vision of a, of a Mark Ingram. And I'm not suggesting that he does today, but maybe that's a hint of improvement in that area. And if he continues to improve at that type of trajectory, then the running game is going to be where we need to be. And, and oh, by the way, it's getting there. Right? No, absolutely. Well, talk to me real quick for the listeners about uh, we had another sighting of number 85 in the jumbo package. Um, we already talked about all the beef that we had in this game, you know, with the uh, line as as we were putting out there. But bringing in number eighty-five again, uh, I think he's. I think we're going to see some more of this uh, three tight end look with number eighty-five before the season's over. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Kendall Kendall Randolph is is definitely becoming a staple in you know certain certainly short yardage situations. I think he's got a a, a nice sort of role carved out for him. Um, you know, we have seen, and, and here's sort of, you know, I'll take your opinion on this. We've seen Alabama bring in a sixth lineman, you know, every once in a while. Um, we've also seen Alabama, uh, there was a, was it Brandon Green, was a former uh, offensive lineman that we moved to, uh, officially moved to a tight end position. And so I get the feeling that, that because of the number change, that that might be an indication truly of a position change for subsequent seasons. So do we see him – I've seen him go out, you know, to block and then run out on a route. Do we see him get the ball? I think we do see him get the ball before the before the season's over. I, I think there's going to be that moment that, that Saban wants to take a crack at that. I do. I, I was just going to say, watch, you know, I, there's probably a third and four, right? <laughs> it's not going to be a long pass, but there's probably a third and four. Uh, where he steps out the block and then peels out or or something like that. There's a I think there's sort of a critical 
you know, sort of key third down when we're looking to just mix it up a little bit. And uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he's not given an opportunity. No, I agree with that. Well, tell me what else you got on offense before we do mini game balls. Because obviously we could we could build a whole show talking about Tua's game again because it's like ho-hum. I will, I will touch on what you said in the last show, you know, just reiterate what you said that as much as I want to say that he's coming back and as much as I say that I hope he does, um, you know, more than likely he's not. And more than likely some of these yeah. wide receivers, some of these junior a, a, we'll say at least two of these three, you know, we might get lucky and one might come back. Um, but just to reiterate what you said before, the listeners just really need to enjoy uh, probably the best quarterback to have ever played at Alabama and probably to ever play at Alabama again. Yeah. And uh, they need to enjoy these last few football games. Completely agree with that. And, and what you said was completely sort of unplanned, uh, but I'll take, I'll take the, the window to do a shameless plug if you have not participated in the listener support campaign, um, sort of topically, unintentionally, Tommy just referenced two podcasts, two bonus shows that we've recorded. And one speaks to uh, the future of the quarterback position and the other, um, I can't remember what, what you just said really. But Talking it, about uh, Tua and enjoying and, Tua and, while he's here. Yeah, yeah, joined to uh, you know talking about the the quarterback uh, situation, but um, but at any rate, there's there's five or six shows that we've re- four or five shows that we've recorded bonus shows that are out there uh, available for listening only for um, only for members or contributors at the uh, for the listener support campaign, and so there's definitely uh, a good probably you know 15, 20 minute show talking about the future of the quarterback position. Uh, that speaks to Tua and 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 other folks as well. So I would definitely uh, definitely encourage people to 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 go contribute, get a get a listen to those, and and jump into that conversation. But uh, again, that was sort of a shameless all, plug. But uh, I agree, we've got to enjoy Tua. Just to, to, no, What's just that? his his quick release. His he goes through four progressions <laughs> in just a few seconds, and and just oh my gosh, just just his ability to just read the play to start, know where to go with the ball, go through his progressions, lead the receiver, put the ball more than, you know, nine times out of 10, right where it needs to be, not where the receiver is, but where the receiver's going. You know, Gary Danielson spent all this time talking about yards after catch. Yards after, yards after catch only happens with a good quarterback. A lot of yards after catch happens after with a great quarterback. And that's what you're seeing. That's what you're yes. seeing. What's amazing is the records that he that Tua is breaking. And so, you know, a lot of the names that, that come up are, are um, you know, McCarron and, uh, and John Parker. And McCarron was a three-year starter. And there might have been a little fudge because he was splitting some time with, with uh, you know, Philip Sims. But A.J. was the primary. And then, you know, John Parker played, what, he started four seasons? And some of the records that Tua is breaking or threatening to break, he's, you know, Tua's only been a starter for a year and a half. And that's just amazing to think that, that, you know, he's years behind experience, some of these guys, 
and he's breaking the records that he is that prolific. It's, I don't know. I, it's just amazing. No, I agree, man. Absolutely mind boggling. Well, give me, give me your, give me your mini game ball. So I don't think you're going to steal mine. So I'm going to let you go first. Well, I've got two and I'm hoping that if I take one, you're going to take, uh, you're going to take the other. It sounds like I have two, but you're not going to take either one. Okay. Well, I'm giving my mini game ball, uh, to Najee and I'm giving it to him on a, uh, a third and long. And in fact, it was Henry Ruggs' uh, touchdown. Najee, uh, Texas A&M was blitzing and Najee picked up the blitz, which allowed Tua just that extra second to, to get the ball away. And again, we talk about giving Najee a hard time and, and he has openly talked about doing the little things to improve his game. And some of the things that he specifically has called out, uh, called out is, was blocking. And so the fact that, uh, you know, that he picked up that blitz, uh, allowed the quarterback just the extra second, um, you know, if he had, if he had whiffed or he had missed, then Tua probably either gets sacked or, you know, has to run out of the pocket and, and, you know, probably throws the ball away. Uh, but, uh, but Najee picking up that blitz uh, afforded the opportunity to score the touchdown. And that's one of those plays that sort of gets lost. And uh, so typically not only did Najee he on that play. feel the block, he knocked the guy's mouthpiece out of his mouth. Okay, he he knocked the crap out of that guy. Okay, he didn't just get it. No, he didn't just get, no, no. But I I I thought about this during the game because he didn't just go and just kind of half-ass block him. He came in with his. You know, yeah. I've been in the weight room for a long time for many hours. I'd come in here and lay the wood, and he laid the wood for sure. All right, so I'm going to give you one of my. I'm going to Absolutely. give you one of mine. So one of mine, in the spirit of your mini game ball, as you always like to preach to me, I'm giving it to John Mechie. Yes. Now, all right, on the first touch, on the first touchdown to Jalen Waddle, when I went back and replayed it three times, and I saw the good block that Devonta Smith gave. What stood out mm-hmm. at me in the background was John Mechie. And John Mechie was in on that play, and he was driving his guy about 10 yards to the sideline. And so just kudos to this kid. He hasn't been on the field a lot, true freshman. He's obviously playing past the four-game mark. And he's sitting here showing the coaches, or either he's learned from Jalen and Jerry and Henry and Devonta, because let's face it, he knows you know one, two, or three of these slots on the depth chart are going to be open next year. And here he was – with the key block that that sprung Jalen Waddle on his touchdown. Yep, yep. That was the other thing that you had mentioned that that I've talked that I, is in one of those bonus shows is who's coming back and who's not based on talking to someone inside the program. And so I've alluded on these open shows about having talked to someone in the program. And so I did a bonus show where I unpacked that a little bit more. So again, all good, man. Who's your other mini game ball? I was going to go Devonta, and that sounds so. It's uh, it sounds so cheap after you. No, went this is not the spirit of mini game ball at all, dude. He's a headliner. <laughs> well, so is Najee, but that but those are plays that sort of, you know, are yeah, a little you bit out the both times there. My second mini game ball um, is going to. There's a couple. There's a couple. No, 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 dude. Mine, mine. He's not. He's a headliner because he's a starter. But my mini, my next mini game ball is going That's to Miller Forstall, and the reason it goes to him is because right now he is our key H back guy, 
um, in our base formation. Our base formation is three wides and Miller Forstall. And Miller Forstall is lining up um, at right tight end, left tight end, left H-back, right H-back, motion all over the place. And so Major Tennyson's not getting mm-hmm. a lot of run because Miller Forstall is in there all the time. And he got banged up early in this game. And he kind of hobbled off the field, and and I was like, oh, crap, he's about to be out of the game. Well, next series, he was back on the field. And so just kudos to this guy. He's obviously had to withstand, you know, an injury past. And right now he's getting his opportunities. He didn't fill up the stat sheet uh, in, in the pass catching. But I got news for you. He is a key ingredient to this offense right now, and they can't afford to lose him. No, mini game ball for looking like you were going to come out of the game for at least a few series and being back just a few minutes later and sucking it up and just getting back out there and just playing through, uh, playing through the situation. No, that's fair. That's fair. No, I, he is a critical player at that position. We definitely, you know, one of the weaknesses we talked about in, you know, sort of preseason is, you know, was at the tight end because we lost so much at the tight end position. Um, and so, and, and you're right, Major Tennyson isn't stepping up in maybe the way that we would want or need, uh, but Forrestal certainly is, is, um, is doing well there. So yeah, hats off to, hats off to Miller and sort of the unspoken nature of his role. Um, you know, Absolutely. Well, I agree. Well, defense, I'm just going to talk briefly um, about how, you know, I like the base formation uh, that we are employing uh, on – well, I'll say this. I was surprised first at how early we saw some backups in the game on the, on the, front, on the front defensive line. Yes. So, I guess let's, let's just start there because obviously yep. we've, we've got some guys, you know, you know, LeBron Ray was not there um, uh, on the front line. Um but we were going pretty deep in the depth chart uh, early in the game. So just just talk to me about that and 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 kind of what what is your what is your thoughts on that? Because specifically, the sighting that jumped off the page to me was Christian Barmore. And so Christian Barmore, redshirt freshman out yeah. of Philly, six five three ten. You know this guy. You know for Bama for Bama fans, this guy has been getting mop up duty at the beginning of the season with five minutes left in the game. And he has come out there and he has seized his opportunity to walk through the door and has just had a nonstop motor and just giving it all you got and just making some, you know, making some highlight real plays at the end of that game. And when coach Saban wants to shut the door, he wants to shut the freaking door. And Christian Barmore on the defensive side of the ball, when teams are behind and they've got to pass, et cetera, he's, he's done a nice job. Well, Christian Barmore was in the game in the first quarter on third and long. And so, yep. you know, what, what's your thoughts on that? I mean, they obviously had three down linemen in that situation, but in some situations, you know, not only was it Fildarian Mathis, but, you know, a Christian Barmore type of, type of player as well. Yeah, I think when an opportunity presents itself, you know, you have to be prepared to – you know, to seize it. And, and I think Barmore is certainly, certainly one of those players, you know, Saban has talked about, talked about him, you know, certainly being a talent, uh, but being someone who needs to 
understand and execute his responsibilities. If the play goes to the left, he needs to, he needs to, you know, then if, if his responsibilities to the left, then he needs to go to the left rather than freelance to the right. And so I think that's been a little bit that's kept him out uh, of, of the play, but we've also talked about, and Saban's also talked about, we don't have the number of players. We don't have the depth to sustain, you know, 80 possessions every, um, or 80, every 80 game. plays, right. um, you know, every game. Also. And, and we, we don't have the bodies to do it. And one thing that we've talked about in the past that we wish the team or the coaches would do, and, and they didn't do it as much as we would like, is manufacture that depth uh, or, or, or sort of build up that depth. You've got players that are, are competent and, and capable. Let's give them a few more reps and a few more opportunities. Um, they don't have to start. They don't have to be the starters. They don't have to run with the ones the whole time. But let's sneak in an extra, you know, eight to 12 snaps over the course of a game. And and if the player acquits themselves well, then all of a sudden you've created depth, right? And so I think Barmore is that type of player. I really do. He is When he has been given an opportunity, he has played very well. And, uh, you know, we've kind of conjectured on, on the podcast – that he will continue to get more opportunities by virtue of, of his play. And, and so when I saw him, I just, I kind of laughed to myself. I was like, well, that's Barmore out there early, certainly earlier than we've seen before. And, and, and that's what we want to see. It's almost something that we predicted and it certainly bodes well for the defense moving forward. So I'm very pleased to see that. Uh, Brian Young is another youngster uh, across the defensive front who had, had, been running with the ones in practice over the bye week, but that's been partly due to injury. Uh, you know, again, you seize the opportunity as it's given. And so hopefully he'll, hopefully he'll rotate in more. And if you add in two more competent guys that are, you know, again, getting eight to 12 snaps a game, hopefully that can grow from there. Then you're manufacturing depth across the defensive front. And that's what we need. So I am pleased uh, I am pleased and pleased uh, for those two guys. Well, you know, one of our better teams in the Saban era was, you know, the year that we were running eight to 12 guys on the front defensive line. Yes, with, with very little drop-off, yeah. Right, and, and and that's something that we have not been able to have, you know, in years past, um, in the past couple of years. I mean, you know, we had guys like Isaiah Bugs last year who – was playing on one leg and against Clemson, you know, he gave us what he had, but there was no next man up to come behind him, you know, kind of deal. So um, talk about the fact we, we, we talked about a few weeks ago because we also have limited depth at the linebacker position um, that we were going to, you know, that, that, that we were, um, that we were taking, our base nickel, and and it looked to me like we were turning it into a base dime. And specifically, Xavier McKinney was in the box as the, you know, pseudo linebacker, you know, <laughs> physical safety, even though he's a free safety. And, and our base nickel was turning into a base dime. Well, in this game, it's the second time, second game I've seen this. We're taking the base dime we are putting three guys hands in the dirt rotating in guys like we just talked about like like you know young etc 
But we're taking Anthony Jennings off the end as an edge rusher half the time in thirds and longs, and we're putting him back in the box next to a Shane Lee. And so we talked about Christian Harris is not, you know, maybe he doesn't have the playbook down yet, and he got banged up in this game and thankfully came back. But, you know, Shane Lee is in there in that in that third and long right now and, you know, playing all three downs. Well, this is the second game I've seen Anthony Jennings lined up next to Shane Lee at the snap, three guys' hands in the dirt, six guys in the secondary, and Anthony Jennings looks like that guy in arena football where he's just standing up and he's just kind of bouncing around and he's deciding at the snap which which hole he wants to go hit. And and this is the second time we've done that. And 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 I understand you're getting your good player, you're moving him around so it's harder to block him. But why do you think we're doing that? That we've only done this a couple of games now. Yeah, I, I think it's all of the above. I think it's putting him in a position where, you know, he can sort of find the, find the weakness. Um, he can track towards the run, uh, maybe a little bit better. He's not isolated on one side. It does rotate in, you know, another, a, another or different linebacker. I, you know, there's probably a number of reasons, but, uh, I, but, you know, we're getting production out of it. And, and so, I don't know. I don't know that we need another reason than that. And and this is a game. Certainly, uh, you know, you're talking about all the tools and all the parts and pieces, and we just need them to come up, um, you know, in the right sequence. You know, talking about Anthony, you know, getting after the quarterback. Um, you know, you know the the Alabama defense. You know, had five you know sacks on the day, seven tackles for a loss. Um, you know, that's that's a weapon in the arsenal that we've not really seen that that type of pass rush. And so if we're manufacturing it by moving around Anthony uh, and it's certainly Terrell practiced, uh, you know, all week leading up to the game. And so maybe he's getting some health back uh, and we get those guys clicking on all cylinders uh, this, this second half of the season, this, this defense really does stand to improve. Well, I just think it's, it's, it's manufacturing what you have. So most teams in America that didn't have the depth at defensive line and didn't have the depth at linebacker would be suffering right now. But yet we're able to play a good Texas A&M team and double them up, right? Because while we're not deep at linebacker and defensive line right now, we're deep in the secondary. So we're running six DBs out there, one linebacker, You see what I'm saying? And we're able to make it work. So we've only got, I mean, technically Anthony Jennings and Raekwon, excuse me, Anthony Jennings and Terrell Lewis are technically linebackers. So we're sitting here in third and six or greater, and we're able to get off the field with two defensive linemen, two linebackers, excuse me, two defensive linemen, three linebackers, and five and six DBs. So it's just interesting how, how because of the amount of athletes that he has, he can still move pieces around because like we haven't even talked about like Chris Allen, you know, take nothing away from Mathis and and the other guys that, you know, have played Chris Allen to his credit. Guess what? This He talks about 22 starters on defense. Well, Christopher Allen is not, or Chris Allen's not running at a linebacker position, but you talk about manufacturing depth. He's throwing him as one of those three guys with his hands in the dirt on third and long too. And and guess what? He doesn't have to know the whole playbook. He just has to know to go after the quarterback. 
And I think for the eight or 10 snaps he was in there, he did a pretty good job. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we've seen the Tim Williams model work, right? Where um, now Tim Williams, I, I don't know that we've had a pass rusher as dynamic as, as he was, you know, at a singular skill. Uh, but we've seen that model work, right? Where it's, it is going to be 12 to 15 snaps a game, um, very much a specialist. And we've, we've seen that work. And, and, you know, if Christopher Allen is, is uh, benefiting by, by some of that, like you said, you don't have to know the whole playbook when, you know, you're in there just to sick them. No, absolutely. We'll talk about Christian Harris for a minute. Cause you know, we talked about how he has progressed and he got banged up on that opening drive. And unfortunately, uh, the next thing you know, you see Markel Benton out there. No offense to Benton, but you see him in the game when they got, you know, inside the 10-yard line because uh, Christian Harris wasn't out there. Uh, thankfully, he got he got back out there kind of deal. But kind of like I was talking about with Forrestall, you know, that's, a, that's another guy that we can't afford to lose. Well, it really is. Um, and, and it's almost just the attrition at, at, at the position. Christopher, or, you know, talking about Harris, um, I mean, Harris is just an incredibly talented linebacker. I, I don't think he's really caught up to SEC play yet. Uh, he's going to get there. And, and, you know, missing reps against A&M is just missing how fast he's, you know, getting getting the experience. And so um, not only just his production against A&M, but just, you know, that's probably, you know, 20, 30 additional reps that I'd like to see him have because uh, we may not have needed him this week, but we're going to need the, we're going to need him to be that sophomore, you know, later in the season. And, and he's getting there and he's going to be a star. Uh, we just need him to, you know, move along a little faster in that direction. No, absolutely. Well, what else would you like to talk about the defense? Because obviously they had that first drive. Then Texas A&M got that field goal, thanks to in large part to that, you know, big 31-yard pass play kind of deal. Um, the, the defense did a lot of good things. I mean, they they shut down, you know, they shut down their best receiver, you know, had one catch for five yards on the day. You know, by far their most physical wide receiver, Kendrick Rogers. Um, it, is the jury out on the defense? Because I'm sounding a little spoiled when I say that while I'm glad we won, I wish they wouldn't have got those last couple scores to, you know, to get 28 points on the board. I mean, am I just too freaking spoiled at this point? Well, yes, um, because I, I feel that way too. But there's also a heck of a lot that the defense did well. You know, the five sacks, again, we're seeing pressure on the quarterback that we've not seen before. Ten pass breakups is just amazing. That's just that, – that, that is truly – I mean, half that number is a significant number. And so to see, to see ten is, is just incredible. Um, I think the defense is, is going to come along. You know, Maiden had – and not to pick on a guy, but – I mean, he just had an incredible bust on the the touchdown to, you know, the tight end. And so those are the types of things that are frustrating to see. The penalties, oh, my goodness, how many times did Texas A&M sustain a drive because of a penalty? You know, twice on the opening touchdown, uh, you know, there was a field goal drive that was kept alive. 
with um, with penalties. And so 11 penalties on the day, and some of those were against the offense, but you take away, you know, half of the ones, um, you take away half the penalties that were registered against the defense, and and you impact Texas A&M score. And, and so if we play with a, a little more discipline uh, in terms of, you know, committing penalties, I think this I think this defense almost organically improves. And then you clean up just a little bit of the sloppy play, missed assignment there by Maiden. That's a touchdown that uh, they shouldn't have scored. But when we think about defense, I, I want to put a twist on that. Kellen Mond is a bad mother joker. Um, Tommy, he carried the ball 16 times and, and you know, got – got hit on nearly every one of those. Uh, Chris Walsh on uh, his website, he counted up unofficially. Uh, in the pocket, you know, Mon was was racked up 13 times uh, in the pocket. And there were plays where it looked like he didn't know his name when he got up or that he could barely walk when he got up. And there are quarterbacks that we will play that if we give them that treatment, they will say no Moss. And I give and, – and so that's the defense really putting it to a guy, and it's just a tough dude. And if they do that to some of these other quarterbacks on the schedule, I think those guys will go no Moss. Um, and so that's a, that's a credit to Kellen, but I'm also tip of the cap to the defense because they went after him and they laid some wood to him. No, they did, and and unfortunately, on two of those last three drives, he had one run for 20, and he had one scramble for 36, and so that was 56 of his of his 90 yards there. Um, you, you take those two runs away, and now he's averaging three yards a carry. So, um, but those two those two those two blown assignments you know, is a learning experience for this defense. And, and like you said, um, you know, they only scored two touchdowns in the second half. And one of those touchdowns came on that huge bust, um, which was, you know, which was very frustrating. Um, and unfortunately that, that, that true freshman tight end, you know, Jalen Wardermeyer, or however you pronounce that, um, he provided a big mismatch. I actually am surprised I didn't go to him earlier in the game. I mean, the guy runs six five two sixty. He's a big guy, and uh, he's got some good hands. And um, I'm I'm glad they didn't go to him earlier in the game um, because I think um, I think he would have created some more problems. So to your to your point, like to to your point, like with Kelly Mond, you're not going to see a lot of guys six five two sixty with hands like him with his mobility, and. Um, you know, that you're going to be playing against. No, that's fair. That's fair. Uh, anything else on defense or mini game ball? Nope. I'm going to let you go first. All right. My mini game ball uh, is Jordan Battle, and uh, he's the true freshman uh, safety, plays in the in the dime package. Uh, I think he was erroneously flagged for pass interference on on a play. I think he and the receiver were, were close to one another, uh, but the ball was over their head. But – the play that, that really stood out to me, and I want to say this was in the third quarter. This was a game that it felt like the third quarter lasted forever, uh, and so everything it feels like was in the third quarter. But um, there was a there was a play where uh, Mon was, was throwing the ball up. I want to say uh, Trayvon was the corner, but the receiver had, had beat the, the primary defender. 
you know, had a good, had a good step on him. And uh, Mon laid the ball up and it was just right out in front of the receiver. Uh, if he, if he caught it, if he'd reached out and, and grabbed the ball, it would have been a touchdown, but it was in the end zone. And from the, from the safety position, uh, sort of streaking across uh, is Jordan Battle. And you can see they show enough of the replays and, and why the announcers didn't sort of pick up on this or, or speak to this, I don't know. But you can see the receiver. There's an angle that they show. You can see the receiver and you can see his head, uh, his head turn. And he's turning away from the ball and he sees Jordan Battle coming. And just in that instant, you see his arms come back in and he just makes a business decision that I'm not going for that. I'm not going to try to reel in that pass uh, and get, you know, clobbered by this safety uh, coming across here. And so I thought that was – and so for – it was a subtle play. It kept points off the board. You know, people, it's one of those plays that no one will know about. But just seeing that on replay a couple times, I'd advise you go go back and look at that because that's worth the price of admission. And uh, certainly that was a good play by Jordan. And I uh, honestly think if – if he had not been doing his assignment, it would have been a touchdown. But had he not sort of been aggressively getting after uh, trying to make a play, it would have been a touchdown as well. So hats off to for Jordan Battle on that play. No, absolutely. Well, mine's going to go to Christian Barmore in the true spirit of the mini game ball, as you like to say, uh, for the reasons we talked about earlier. Uh, I'm just happy for the kid. I, I think he got a – to your point, I guess I'll pick on the refs as well because it, it does sound fun. And so the you know they they treat these quarterbacks like they're prima donnas, and so Christian Barmore, I'm glad that when he got called uh, for you know a blow to the head of of Kelly Mond when he had just put his hand up to try to you know deflect the pass and his 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 hand barely touched the helmet and he pulled it right off. I wish they could use common sense and be like, really, like obviously that was inadvertent. And so he got flagged for that, and he came out of the game, and he got to come back a few minutes later because I, I, I'm glad the coaches just realized, come on. like, But that was a crappy call against uh, Barmore. So I'm, gl- I'm glad he fought through that and had a good day. I thought it did look more like a, a karate chop. He had his hand up, man, and, and, and his just hand came down. I mean, it was, it was angled like a karate chop, but he really barely touched the guy. I mean, come on. This is football. This isn't tiddlywinks. I mean, really? I mean, the the ref needs to look at that and say, okay, um, you know, Kelly Mon, six foot three, two twenty. He didn't knock him down. He barely touched his helmet. Okay. Everybody's good. Let's just blow the whistle and keep playing freaking football. It's a man's game here. Come on. So. So, I, so I don't know I don't I don't know I don't know who had week six on the on the tiddlywink reference, but uh Cash in that chip. All right, man. Let's talk special teams, man. There's a lot to talk about. Is it time to have another audition on the freaking quad? I mean, I know we got some injuries here to the true freshman here, but it looks to me like Bullivus needs to look over his shoulders to the quad for free tryouts. Is it Bullivus or Skyler? I think they both need to look over their freaking shoulders. Okay. I mean, well, I really? We're, I mean, he, we're still you know, we're still clanking the we're still clanking the upright on an extra point. Are you kidding me? But it went in, so I mean, that's, we'll Dude, take that. You're the number one team in the nation. You don't need a kicker who's clanking the ball on the upright. Just go for two, for Pete's sakes. 
So here, here's my thing on Bellavis. Uh, this, for me, the story on Bellavis is no longer Bellavis. The story on Bellavis is his father or grandfather or uncle or someone must work for a stats company. Twice, ESPN had, had reported that he was, you know, two of two or three of three on his field goals, clearly missing, ignoring the fact that he had missed. There was the, he, he had gone for two for three. He had gone two of three one week, and and ESPN reported that he was two of two. And then another week, I think he went three of four, and they reported that he went three of three. This week, they reported that he was five of five on his PATs, and there was a block. And so maybe they just don't credit the block against the, the wide receivers. But the uh, AL.com, they were even more confused and they said that that uh, that he went five of five on his six kicks. And so I thought that was – and, again, it's a block, so I don't know how you credit it, but I just thought, man, that's the third time this season that it's been sort of clunky numbering on on his kicks. And so, for me, that's the bigger story than, than his actual kicks because, I mean, what do you want? No, that's fair, but, but poor Skyler, man. 29.5 average? Really? Well – yeah, and I mean that's bad, right? Like I would almost rather don't play me <laughs> because the and, and I mean you want to have competitive spirit, and so I'm being a little tongue in cheek, but my God, those are bad. Like like if you're in the mid 30s, that's bad, and when your average is below 30, that's that's really bad. And what I don't understand, and maybe there's a coach that you know that can that we can have on and, and talk to, but you know, truly more of the mechanic of the kick because everyone talks about, you know, I mean, obviously, I mean, he was given a scholarship. He was one of the best kickers in, in, in the country. And so he has some pedigree. Um, and, you know, coach talks about, you know, he nails them in practice. He's just, he has, he's inconsistent. And, and there's a couple of articles about there's other guys on the, on the team that have, you know, really strong legs too, but they're inconsistent as well. And, I start to wonder, can they be more inconsistent than, than, than Skyler? And then I even start to wonder, I'm not sure Skyler's inconsistent. I think he's consistently kicking short. And so well, the I don't first, even buy the inconsistent. Well, the first more. one, well, the first one, you know, it was fourth and 10 at the, at the Texas A&M 48. And so obviously you and I both know that, you know, you line up behind that yard of you behind that line of scrimmage. Right. So, you know, he was what? 10 yards behind there. Um, mm-hmm. So he had room on that one. Um, that one, he put it to the 12. It just got returned 10 yards. But the second one is it was fourth and nine at the Texas A&M 41. He punted it 23 yards. It went out of bounds at the Texas A&M 18. I mean, that's just bad. That's the one I guess I'm highlighting. I think if well, I would have punted the ball, I could have, like, if if that's what my job was, right? I mean, you you can't punt twenty three yards when you're when you're lining up behind the line of scrimmage at about the fifty to to punt the ball. You can't punt the ball twenty three yards. Not right. not in college football, not for the number one nope. team in the country. No, I I agree, and and you know, try out on the quads. That's we've talked about that for years, and so. um 
I, something's got to give, and maybe it's Will Riker coming back. And and I think we, um, who I don't know, somebody I read on AL.com, they were impressed with Bulova's numbers on the PATs and in in the field goals, and and they sort of questioned is would Riker win his job back? Oh my gosh! Are you kidding? He's not going to win any. He's going to win all three jobs. What? He's going the the. That's the why he got hurt to start with. with. That's why he's hurt to start with, probably because he was doing too much. So, oh my gosh! Well, yeah, I don't think he. Yeah. Well, let's yeah. flip. Let's flip the field because, of course, you know Alabama's playing against the Ray Golf Award winner from last year, right? Dude just comes in and like nails four punts for a forty-nine point <laughs> eight average. Wait, no, can I stop you? You said you were going. to Wait a second. You said you wanted to work Georgia into the podcast. I didn't think it would be a Ray Golf reference. No, no, I should have said this earlier for for you know go dogs, right? I mean, really, come on, you you choked in South Carolina. <laughs> like I should have done this like thirty minutes ago. So I'm sorry, but so this poor sorry, guy. No, no, it's all good. It's all good. So this poor guy kicks a long of 57, and, like, he kicks it to the right sideline. He pins in Jalen Waddell. Like, instead, like he, he balls up and says, I'm going to kick at you, but I'm just going to kick it 60 yards, and I'm going to pin you over on the mm-hmm. sideline where there's no way you can do anything. And Jalen Waddell has four returns for 128 yards. So when you look at this stat line, because you don't get to play this game very often, you got the top punter in college football, four punts for 200 yards, and you've got the returner, four returns for 128 yards. I mean, look at that, Dave. That's that's the epitome of flip the field right there, man. No, it's it, it absolutely is. Uh, you know, it's those hidden yards – uh, and and Saban has cer- certainly talked about those, but the, yeah, it's that's an incredible sort of field position maneuvering. Saban, you know, definitely talked about, hey, a good punter can be good for us if they'll kick to us, uh, because it'll give us sort of room, uh, sort of room to operate. And so, um, you know, so their guy, the Ray Guy uh, Award winner, not the Ray Golf Award winner. That is awesome. Dude, I was doing that on um, purpose, man. Just go with it. <laughs> I am, I am with that because. That is awesome, uh, but no, I it, and and look something else that that stands out to me, and and not just for Waddle, but for Rugs and the kickoff returns. You know, Jeff Banks was is our special teams coach, formerly their special teams coach, and so I'm convinced that he had a little extra sort of want to in uh, against these guys, and he knew uh, how to how, how to attack. Um, where to attack and and the opportunities that would be there. And so the fact that and and I caught myself sort of yelling at the TV and then yelling at the TV uh, when Ruggs would run these kickoffs back, and especially once when it looked like he had fumbled it, but but he had not. And he ended up with you know four four uh, four kicks for uh, four returns for you know a buck thirty one. Uh, but look, there's kickoff math. Um, well, I, that's not fair because not all of his kicks were filled in in the end zone, but uh, but at least one or two were. And so, you know, four kicks returned to the end zone is going to get you 100 yards. And so he had 131 yards that he actually had to run for. Uh, but not all of his kicks were in the end zone. So I guess I can't go too hard on that. Well, to your point, there was a but little – he almost busted a couple. No, he did almost bust a couple. But, dude, is it fair to say that the listeners just saw – 
the last big game for Jalen Waddle at punt returner this season? I'm calling it. That was it. Well, it may be. You know why? Uh, you know. You know why I'm saying that? No one, will kick, no one will kick to him again this season. I don't think. I think it's yeah. going to be that stupid little run over to the side and do that rugby crap that Clemson does, or it's going to be just to kick the ball out of bounds. Like, I truly think we saw it because I think teams will watch that and film and say, okay, the top punter in college football just dared him four times, and here's what they did. And I think they're going to say, uncle, we're well, done. We're not I mean, doing it anymore. Well, if you're playing us, right? If you're right, if you're playing well, us, think about, if you're playing us, think I think you're going to take Jalen Waddle out of the game. We're going to like, we're not going to let you flip the field on us. No, I mean this. You know, you're going to say things along the lines of their offense is too good to give them a short field. Why? Why risk giving them? You know, they're too good to take that risk. We can take that risk off the table. So let's just take it off the table. I think we got you're enough gonna, to contend with that we I would say I would tell you that I think because of this game, you're going to have more teams go for it on some fourth down opportunities, and and some situations a little bit outside of their comfort zone, uh, on the other side of the field, and just say, "What the hell? Let's take our chances," because we already can't out. Sure we, we, we already can't outscore them. So, just a thought. Yeah. Well, let me talk about Kaho. Well, let me let me talk about Kaho real quick, man, because before he blocked his punt. He had just barely missed the one before. So yes. going back to the special teams coach and, you know, he knows about this program. He coached at this program. Obviously, he had a hand in this. But I'm happy for the KO kid because he almost got one and then he got the very next one. So I just thought that was cool. No, I thought it was great. And then on the one that he got, you know, obviously he, you know, part of the get was, you know, he – he contacted the punter and he immediately like stopped and put his hands up. Like I didn't hit him. I didn't hit him. And then before he realized, Hey, I actually blocked the kick. It's okay. Uh, so I thought that was funny. Uh, and then certainly, you know, that's two games in a row that, that he has had a block, um, a blocked punt and uh, both times uh, resulting in a touchdown last time. And it, when it's in it's Cahoe and Shavers. Right. And so last. Yeah. Shavers enjoyed that one. Yes. So last time Shavers wasn't able to get the ball and there were a couple articles and interviews with players saying that, you know, they, they gave him a hard time about that. And then this time it, he seems so intentional. And so, you know, it's an oblong ball, so it's going to bounce kind of crazy, but he almost had a little extra like gingerness to, to go into reach for the ball. And I rewound that a couple of times. No, and did fun. you, did you see Saban's reaction on the sideline when there was all the celebration and Tua was right in the middle of it? Tua even got knocked down. And I was like, oh, great. He's going to like – something's going to happen here. But but Tua's down there right in the thick of the celebration of like 15 to 20 players. And you can read Saban's lips. He was totally pissed right. off that they were down there celebrating. He was not happy at all. <laughs> I would have it no other way. <laughs> and then and then he took every opportunity uh, after the game to talk about the fact that they didn't finish because to what we're talking about earlier, they did not finish. This team did yep. not finish the game. Take, take nothing away yeah, from Texas not. A&M. But when a team starting tailback has 10 carries for 27 yards, they don't need to score 28 points. Right, right. 
All right. I anything agree. else you got? Agree. Go ahead. Well, it's just lapses, right? You take away the maiden play and um, and, and some of the penalties, and it is a different score. And again, that's not to discredit Texas A&M because they did what they did, but there's certainly things that Alabama can show. No, absolutely. Well, what else you got before we look ahead? Let's look ahead. All right. So, so this is uh, this is a big game in years past, um, but this game, you know, obviously Tennessee comes into this game. You know, they got a much needed win. Uh, against the Mississippi State Bulldogs on Saturday to to bring their record to two and four. Um, what, what do you? Th- this is not this. This is not the Alabama Tennessee series of years past. Um, and and this is just not that game. Uh, thank thank goodness it hasn't been that game now for a few years. Um, Tennessee is obviously off to a to a tough start. Um, you know, losing at home to Georgia State to open the season. Uh, what what do you think we what do you think we get here from the Tennessee Volunteers? Well, I think they're going to be up for the game, and you know they're going to be as excited as as they have been. Um, you know, for the win. I think in a relative context, it is Mississippi State, but I mean, hell, when you lose to when you lose to Roast Beef Tech, uh, a win over Mississippi State is actually pretty good. So I, I think that. They're going to be on their version of cloud nine uh, because this has probably been a pretty crappy ride. Uh, now, there's going to be a wake-up call when they come to Tuscaloosa, and I think sort of in their heart of hearts, uh, they know that. I think it's going to, you know, well, I don't think. I know it's going to be a night game, and so sort of the natives will be restless, and, you know, we're going to have an opportunity to show off the new LED lights, and and that's going to Wow! Sort of up and up. Sorry, go ahead. I'm not sure. (laughs) I'm just saying it's going to be a little sarcasm there on the whole thing, but go ahead. That's well. The point is, it's going to be a night game. It's going to be a rowdy crowd, and I think I think Tennessee is going to find themselves in a hostile environment, severely overmatched, and um, and so I'm looking at a at a. An LED enabled forty-nine to seven score. Forty-nine to seven. So, uh, so Georgia, and it's like it's it's like it's like it's like Fletch. Uh, If you remember Fletch, he was six five, six nine with the afro. This is forty-two to seven, but forty-nine to seven with the LED lights. (laughs) Okay. Well. Georgia came to their house and put it on them 43 to 14. And obviously they, they still have questions, you know, at quarterback. Um, I'm not sure. Who do you think we'll see? Do you think we're going to see, you know, Jarrett? We'll see those two and a third guy. Okay. I, I'm just wondering because, because I, I think Jarrett's not the answer for them. I think if he ends up playing and, and they're not able to run the true freshman uh, more, I think it's going to be, you know, a long game for them if they're not able to throw the football. And so I think we hang 50 on them uh, because it's Tennessee. And I think Saban's okay for us hanging 50 on Tennessee, even though, even though, you know, there's, there's loyalties to the, you know, to the, to the former uh, coaching tree alliance, if you would. So I hate it for him, uh, but I don't hate it for Tennessee and I don't hate it for their God awful orange color. And so I'm, I'm going to say this is going to be a 56 to three ball game. See, 
56 to 3. No, that's great. Here's here's I don't like that for here's, Jeremy Pruitt because I love Jeremy Pruitt. But it, it besides Jeremy Pruitt, I, I hope they just stick it to him. Here's the here's here's Saban's thinking. I my interpretation of Saban's thinking on running up the score against Tennessee and uh and Jeremy Pruitt. <clears throat> Saban as he rests as as he lays his head in bed, you know, this week is thinking sort of the dancing visions he has in his head. How many points would I have to score for Tennessee to fire Jeremy Pruitt Monday morning so that by Wednesday afternoon he's at practice down here in Tuscaloosa? Wearing his Alabama gear. I like that. I like that, man. If he could, if we could run a 100-point play, if he could score – I. And, and it's that counterintuitive because he doesn't want to run it up. But he's like, if I can get him fired from that Tennessee job and really just save him from just that. Save him from that circumstance. Crap. Yeah. Yes. Then I can have him as as an analyst on my team, which, by the way, he would then be one of two <laughs> analysts on my team that's being paid for by Tennessee. How cool would that be? Right? I mean, come on. That'd be pretty that cool. Would, that would be pretty cool. Tennessee's paying for so, two of our coaches. Yeah, that would be pretty yeah. nice. Yes. Yes. So so I hate it for Jeremy. So that's what I got to say. I, I hate it for Jeremy, but uh, you know, um we're we're gonna have some we're gonna have some riled up Tennessee fans because it's a nine o'clock kickoff and there's gonna be some there's gonna be some disturbances. There's gonna be the local police, I think, is gonna be called the 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 uh, UAPD, I think, is going to have a few situations on their hands on Saturday night. Yeah, probably so. All right, what else? I can't wait. What else you got for the listeners, man? You know, I think uh, I, I think you know we have, we absolutely love engaging uh, with the listeners. Uh, hit us up on the iTunes. Uh, we definitely are looking for uh, some new reviews on on iTunes. We'd appreciate uh, some support there. Hit us up on Facebook. Um, you know, follow us there. Hit us up with questions there. Uh, we love the listener questions on uh, the email uh, at Al- our Alabama football podcast at gmail.com. Uh, hit us up there and uh, I'll just throw in, pro- you know, probably my last uh, time this season. But um, the listener support campaign, we're going to keep that open. Uh, and but we're starting to put content um, there. I think there's four or five recordings there. Uh, we've probably uh, got a couple more sort of in the hopper uh, to put out there. And so now is your chance to to contribute, uh, participate, and get the benefit uh, by that. And so um, those are some things I'd put out there. But uh, we greatly appreciate everyone listening, uh, everyone's support. It continues to be, um, you know, the engagement is flattering. The comments that people uh, put out there are just, just incredible. Uh, and we really partic- uh, really enjoy engaging and participating with folks. Absolutely, guys. We appreciate y'all listening, and uh, we are looking forward to kicking some tail for some Tennessee volunteers. Absolutely. Well, run us out, Tommy. All right, man. This has been another edition of the Alabama Football Podcast. Roll Tide. Thanks for listening to the Alabama Football Podcast. We love that you're tuned in and hope that you enjoyed the show. We encourage you to reach out and let us know what you like, where we can improve, or just a shout out, a roll tide. We are where you are. iTunes, 
Facebook, Twitter, email newsletters, t-shirts, free roster downloads, and of course, on the web at alabamafootballpodcast.com. Check us out where you'll find easy links to your favorite way to follow the tide. Got that, Coach? Of course. Roll Tide.